It's not conservative or liberal, however they're defined. It's not about interpretation or the judgment of the mind. It's the opposite of politics, power or prestige. It's about a simple message. Whether we believe it's still the cross, it's still the blood of Calvary that cleanses sin and sets the captive free, it's still the Justify sweet subtle lies that are wrapped in noble deeds. We can alter our convictions to adapt to social realms, but we cannot change the gospel or the truth contained within. It's still the cross, it's still the blood of Calvary. That cleanses sin and sets the captive free. It's still the name, the name of Jesus that has power to save the lost. It's still the cross. Church's Bible. Real quick, uh, we need to continue to remember Nina. As you can tell, Nina and Raul are not here today. She is still having a lot of pain in her legs from her fall the other day. So let's continue to pray for her. And we're going to keep Amanda Haynes in our prayers. Uh, 
still working through the diabetes and kidney issues, and so we'll pray the Lord would uh, work in a mighty way there for her and um, that that would have no control over her life anymore. The Lord Jesus would take care of that, and that she would see that, and the whole family would be touched. Uh, and also Teresa, some also know her as Terry, uh, and she had a surgery last week, a week before, last week, and I believe she's already home, doing well, but there's always some bumps and bruises along the way after surgery, so we'll pray that she does continues to do well, but I think so far that's gone really well. All right, we're in John 15, <clears throat> verses 9 through 12, beginning in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Amen. I just see an amazing picture there. The Lord clarifying where him where him and God are and the expectations they have for us to love one another uh, and obey their commands. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for what a privilege it is, Lord, just to come into your house, to sing praises to your name, and, Lord, to come and to be hungry for your word. We come today, Lord, and we pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, our minds, that you would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes. Help us to see what you would bring us today from your perfect and awesome word. We bless you for the scripture, Lord. Uh, what a picture it is of your heart that you had from the beginning. Even before we, we understand what time was, you've had the same heart. And you sent your son, Jesus. He willingly came. And Lord, he lived a perfect life so he could die as our sacrificial lamb. So we bless you for that amazing plan. Lord, help us as we try to live in this world and try to obey your commandments. Lord, that's a high calling. And we know that. And we, Lord, with only your help and the help of your spirit, that we can do these things uh, for your glory and not for ours. We do lift up these today that we've mentioned, Nina and Amanda and Teresa. Lord, we pray uh, for an amazing spiritual miracle. And we pray for amazing physical uh, miracles in their lives, Lord, as we all hunger for from time to time so we pray god that you would work in a mighty way uh, today that they would feel your presence where they are and they would be drawn close to you uh, in a special way through your comfort and your peace and your healing we bless you we thank you for all that are here today and, and those that are not with us lord um, guide them and direct them as well as you will us lord we pray this week thank you jesus for this day for this time together and Lord, your word, above all. It's in the name of Jesus we come before you today. Amen. Holding your hand So let your kingdom come 
Good morning. Yes, I uh, could tell that Joe was a little overwhelmed from the songs that we were singing this morning, and I was as well. I love these songs of holiness and these places that we can come and truly bow before him. And I love the message that we have today. This time of year is such a powerful time of year for us to glean the true understandings that God has set before us in these feasts. And so we've been studying about Passover, and we will come to celebrate Passover on Wednesday at 6 o'clock. So Wednesday, April the 5th, if you are able to be with us and have not turned in your name, please let Rebecca know today. And then we will also, you can be marking your calendar, we will have the first celebration of unleavened bread goes along with Passover. We'll talk about that a little more today. But then the last celebration of unleavened bread will be on Tuesday, April the 11th. We will only have a time of worship, and it will start at 7 o'clock. So um, I, I pray that you will be able to be with us for those times. So as I was saying today, we're going to continue in the understanding of the Passover season. And Passover includes not only the Passover itself, which is an event. Passover itself is not a day. Passover is, a, is an event. It's a meal. And then at the time of unleavened, I mean, at the time of Passover, unleavened bread begins and lasts for seven days. We'll study more about that today. And then first fruits. So um, we'll be studying first fruits next week. What I want you to kind of think about as we study this today that when the New Testament oftentimes talks about Passover, it's talking about Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits as one. Sometimes it's called Passover, sometimes it's called unleavened bread, and again, it's talking about Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. It's all a part of the season. Maybe we'll talk about that in a few weeks a little bit deeper so that we can help everyone to understand. But I think it's really important to understand today because a lot of times this time of year, people become interested in the event of Passover. And they celebrate Passover. But they celebrate it as an event not as a place to come and change your heart. Without understanding unleavened bread, you can't understand the season of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. And I pray that we'll be able to see that today. So if you'll turn with me to Leviticus 23, it's on page 139. We're going to start in verse 4. Leviticus 23, it's all about God's feast. 
Verse 4 says, these are the feasts of the Lord. We've talked about this before. These are not the Jewish feast. These are the feast of our Lord. A holy convocation, a holy convocation, a place of coming together, to meet together, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Moedim. I love this word, Moedim, appointed time. This is what Daniel was talking and did such an amazing job last week of helping us to understand the fullness of the timing of Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits. But this word moedim, he talked about this a little bit last time, that it comes from Genesis when God created the heavens and earth and he set the stars in heaven and the moon, and the sun, to create seasons. And we thought that God was creating fall, and spring, and summer, and sure enough, he is. But he had far more that he was telling us at this point in time in Genesis, that he was creating a appointed time, a season, a feast, that he would come to meet with his people. And that is exactly what these appointed times are. They're a holy convocation where we can come to meet with our God. But he chooses to come and meet with us on these appointed times. Verse 5 says, And on the 14th day of the first month at twilight, so this is at sundown, is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So it's saying that on the 14th day, right at sundown, is the Lord's Passover. That's when you have the meal, and that's when you come together to celebrate this appointed time of Passover. But as Daniel talked last week, the understanding in the biblical terms of a day, the day starts at sundown. So Passover is on the 14th day ending at sundown. The 15th day of unleavened bread is beginning at sundown. So unleavened bread begins as we celebrate Passover ending on the 14th day. So let's read that again with that understanding. On the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, but you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord for seven days. The seventh day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no work on uh, no. You shall do no customary work on it. So seven days unleavened bread lasts for seven days. I want us to understand the first place of unleavened bread was in Exodus 12, just as the first Passover. So if you'll turn to Exodus 12 on page 73. So 
starting in chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 8. It says, Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. So they've come together to have the Passover, and the Passover lamb was killed, uh, you can see in verse 6, at twilight, or really between the twilights, which was at 3 o'clock on the 14th day. Now they've come on verse 8 to eat the Passover lamb roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. I want you to understand, today we're going to talk about this word, with. So the Passover lamb with unleavened bread. That with is a huge understanding, so I want you to grab hold of that. It goes on to tell us a little more as we continue to uh, read in verse 9. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its heads with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So you see that it is the Lord's Passover to have the lamb and the unleavened bread together. It's at the Passover meal, and then it begins unleavened bread, the feast of unleavened bread. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Now I want you to understand, this is continuing the Passover into unleavened bread. It goes hand in hand. You have to get that today. That if somebody is just celebrating Passover, they are not in alignment with what it is telling us here in Exodus or in Leviticus. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from the house. For whoever eats leaven bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. All right, let's talk a little bit about this place of leaven. Leaven, some people get this mixed up. They think it's flour. Leaven is not the flour in bread, but leaven is what makes the flour and the bread rise. So it's things like yeast, uh, baking soda, baking powder, these kind of things that give rise to the bread is the leaven. 
And so what would happen right here on Passover is that they, on the first day, they would remove, it says on the first day, they would remove the leaven from the house. So they would go through the house, and the woman would look for any place that there was yeast or anything that would cause the breads to rise and would remove it completely from the house. The father would then come in, and he would make a second check because they were watching so closely for this leaven to be taken out of the house. It could not be there. So for many years, the Lord helped me to see this place and to have some understanding about removing the leaven and not eating of anything that has leaven for seven days. And so as he first helped me to understand about the feast, I understood that. So I didn't eat anything that had leaven in it. But then a few years after that, he began to show me that there is more to it than just this place of removing the leaven. So let's go on and read that further. It says, On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day... I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your house, since whoever eats... What is leaven that the, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land? You shall eat nothing leaven. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. So he, he, uh, God is telling us, as Moses was telling the children of Israel, you cannot have any leaven and you cannot eat of any leaven for seven days. But part two of that is, and you see this as we would just finish reading, is that not only do you not eat the leaven, but you have to eat of unleavened bread. So it all goes together. The Passover lamb, not eating of the things of leaven, and eating of the unleavened bread for the seven days of the feast of unleavened bread leaven is a picture of sin and we will continue to understand what the bible is showing us but as we've talked about god talks to us in symbolic pictures and so jesus is the passover lamb he is a picture of the blood painted on the door that the death angel would not be able to bring destruction to that home that God would cover that home I love where he tells us this in um Verse 12, it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I am 
I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And then he says, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land. We were born with a plague of death on us. And without the Passover lamb to put the blood over our homes, our temples, then we are under the curse of the plague. But God provided a way, and the picture in the Passover lamb is Jesus. The picture in leaven is sin. And what the picture that we're seeing in Exodus 12 here is God is saying that we must be diligent to remove sin from our lives. For seven days that you're not to eat of leaven, but you're to eat of unleaven. Jesus lived a sinless life. He is the picture of unleavened bread that we are to eat of. And for seven days, I love seven. Seven's one of my favorite numbers. I'm sure you've studied with us enough to know that seven means perfection and completion and fullness. So what we're hearing here in Levitic, uh, I'm sorry, in Exodus, is that we cannot have sin in our lives, and we have to eat of the one who was sinless for our complete lives. That is God's perfect plan. And God began to show me this a few years ago. He said, you know, the picture in Passover is the lamb and that's God's part he will come and he will he will cover and and lay over you and pass over you when he sees the blood so that the enemy does not have a right to strike you with the plague the picture in the Passover is God's plan his perfect lamb his blood Unleavened bread is our part. You see, it's telling them that they should go out and remove the leaven. He will give authority for you to do that if you pray to him. He will help you to find the leaven in your heart. I've wondered how it would be on the night that all of this is happening and that you know that the death angel is coming and you get the blood painted on the door, but you've also got to get the leaven out of the house. I wondered how diligently they would be looking and searching for the smallest amount of leaven that might be hidden in a cabinet or, or behind a can or somewhere, and I know they didn't have cans and cabinets like we do, but somewhere in their house would there be in a cupboard a little bit of leaven left? Would that be their hearts to find that little teeniest bit of leaven that they would not have any leaven in their house? Would it be in their hearts that they would know that we are definitely eating every day of this unleavened 
because it is what God has said. It is the plan. Passover is God's part. Unleavened bread is our part. It's very clear here. They were told to get the leaven out, and they were told to eat of the unleavened bread. It's choices. Jesus is the picture in unleavened bread. Absolutely he is. But we have a responsibility in order for it to be fulfilled, to participate in unleavened bread. What God began to show me a few years ago is that Passover, God's part, plus unleavened bread, our part, equals first fruits, the resurrection. We'll begin to study on the resurrection next week in first fruits. A lot of times when I grew up, I heard people talk about once saved, always saved. And um, it sounds like a good idea, <laughs> but it doesn't sound biblical. And I understand that today as I understand the feast more clearly. Because what people would say is once you've come and received Jesus as your Passover lamb and he has covered you then you're saved but you see without understanding that sounds right understanding that sounds right that is part of Passover is you will be covered by the blood of the lamb but if you read on you see that the blood of the lamb goes with unleavened bread it's not a separate part the whole thing is part of the plan and unleavened bread, as I was saying, for seven days is a picture of a lifetime, complete lifetime, where we walk removing the leaven from our lives, removing the sin from our lives, and eating of him. The seven days is only a picture of a complete life, a life in the fullness of Jesus, a life eating of his perfect, sinless life. Turn with me to First uh, Corinthians on page thirteen fourteen. <clears throat> We see these understandings in the Old Testament. I want you to see these understandings in the New Testament as Paul helps us to understand unleavened bread. <clears throat> Let me show you just um, one page back, I think. Let me see. Uh, no. 
No, I don't see that right now. We'll go on right here. Okay, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 on page 1314. We're going to start in verse 6. It says, your glorying or boasting is, is not good. Paul is talking to a church in Corinth, and he's saying, your boasting, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Paul is taking the understanding of unleavened bread, of removing the leaven, and of the Passover, and he's joining it all together. Now, when I grew up, we, my mom made homemade rolls, and I remember the smell of those homemade rolls was so amazing. And as a young girl, she began to teach me about how to make homemade rolls. And so she would start with the flour and the oil and some water and, and some ingredients here, and then she would put in the yeast. And the yeast was in a very small little package. It was not much. There was a lot more flour and, and oil and everything, but a little yeast. And she would put that in there. And then we would cover it with a, 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 what we called a cup towel, a tea towel. And she would put it in a warm place, and that would begin to rise. The yeast would begin to rise. Then in a few hours, she would have me come back in. We would dip our hands in flour, and we would push down the bread. The leaven had made it rise, and we would push it back down with some flour on our fingers, and then in a few hours, it would rise again. And I understand what Paul is teaching us here. He's saying it doesn't take much leaven to make that lump to rise. But he's picturing this place in our lives with sin. He's saying it doesn't take much sin in your life to rise up against the ways of God. And you may push them down but it won't be long and they'll rise up again. So Paul is helping us to understand that. So what he says in the very first, in verse 6, he says, uh, you're, you know, your glorying is not good. He's, he's saying you're boasting about being good, but you're not good. He said, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And then he says, therefore purge out the old leaven. He's Going back to this understanding in Exodus, he says, get the leaven out of your house. Every bit of it, even the smallest part, has to be removed. That you may be a new lump. That you won't be the same person that you are. And he goes and he says, since you truly are unleavened, he says, because you have Receive this place of Jesus because you have made him Lord, because you have allowed the blood to be painted on your house. You're now unleavened. He says, for indeed Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. 
He said, so if you've eaten of the lamb, you're unleavened. You see, what he's saying is, is that the sacrifice for Jesus, of Jesus on the cross is enough to cleanse you. But now you have to work to keep that leaven out of your life. To see any place that it might rise up. I love verse 8. It says, therefore... Let us keep the feast. Now, if anybody ever asks you if a New Testament believer or follower or Christian should be keeping the feast, well, Paul said we should. He's talking to the church at Corinth, which is a Gentile church, not a Jewish church. And he's using the understandings from Passover and unleavened bread to help them to understand the fullness of what they're being taught. And he tells them, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's coming right here and he's saying, now listen, when you keep this feast, you can't keep this feast with the old sin in your life. See what it's saying there? Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven. A lot of people try to make this where it says the old leaven, the, make this the ritual of Passover and unleavened bread, that, that Paul was saying, no, you don't need to do all this anymore. That is not what he is saying at all. He's saying, yes, you need to keep the feast, but he's saying not with the old sin. You can't continue in your old sin and keep the Passover feast and unleavened bread feast. He says, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Malice, malice. I love this understanding. Malice is an intentional doing of evil. It means you intended to do something evil. So he's saying you can't continue with the leaven, the sin of continuing in, in your sin intentionally. Knowing that God has shown you that this is a picture of sin, and yet you're still doing it. He said, you can't come to the feast in this manner. And wickedness, this is walking in, in evil, walking in sin. He said, you can't come to the feast and participate in my feast if you are still in the old place with the old leaven of malice and wickedness. But he goes on, he says, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And a better word for that sincerity is really purity. He's saying, but the way to come is to come and eat of the unleavened bread, to eat of what Jesus is and who he is, of a sinless life. Your goal should be there. 
Your goal should be striving to eat of who he is, of purity and truth. Sometimes we feel like our sin is just a small place. It's not, not all that important to God. But I want us to look on a little further here and um, see some other things that Paul has for us. Turn with me to Galatians, Galatians 5, 19. It's on page 1341. Understanding the feast, as you read the New Testament, you see over and over and over again, the understanding was clear that they understood Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Galatians 5, it's on page 1341, starting in verse, let's start in verse 16. Paul writes, he says, I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So he's, he's saying here that once you've been changed, once God's changed your life, then you must walk in the ways of Jesus. Walk in the spirit. And then you will not fulfill the lust of your old nature. You won't do that if you're walking in the ways of the Lord. Verse 17 says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The law of sin and death. Not the law that God gave to Moses the law of sin and death for the works of the flesh are evident which are adultery fornication uncleanness this means uh, being lustful and um, impurities and uh, and lewdness idolatry sorcery hatred contention this means arguing uh, being competitive, having to be right all the time. Jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. That's being divisive and, and um, uh, wrath, being in anger and rage. Uh, dissensions, having conflicts all the time. Heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you before, just as I've told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who continue in their sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to put your marker right here, and I want to take you back I want to show you something. We're going to come back to this place. Go back to uh, Exodus 12. It's on page 73. Verse 15. 
It says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, for whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh, that person shall be cut off from Israel. God was saying, if you don't get the leaven out of your house, and if you don't eat of the unleavened, you're to be cut off from the family, from the, from the believers, from the followers, from the community following God. He says, there's no place for you if you don't follow my full plan. I can just hear somebody saying, yes, but we put the blood on the door. But it says clearly that if you don't do these things, eat of unleavened and remove the leaven, you shall be cut off. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So when we see Jesus in the New Testament and Paul writing of the words of Jesus, we see the same understanding. So turn back to Galatians 5 on page 1351 where we had your marker. Understanding that leaven, as Paul was telling us, in 1 Corinthians, is a picture of sin. He's now helping us understand what that sin even looks like, and we're going to read that again with that understanding. So starting in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. He said, listen, these are not hard to see. They're right there before your eyes. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, impurities, lustfulness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, arguing, having to be right, being competitive, jealousies, outburst of wrath, anger, rage, selfish ambitions, causing divisions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, rivalries, and then I love this one, and the like. In other words, he's saying this is not all that there even is. Any sin, any place that's not of Jesus fits in this category, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past. He said, this is not the first time I've told you this, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why he started out in verse 16, and he says, walk in the spirit. Then you won't be in the darkness. He's saying, eat of unleavened bread, eat of Jesus, and you won't be in the darkness with the leaven.
turn with me to John 6 on page 1229. Actually, turn back to 1227. Uh, chapter 6 verse 4 I want to show you one thing and then we'll turn the page so what I want you to know is that looking at verse 4 it says now the Passover a feast of the Jews was near the Jews were the ones that were participating in it that's why it says feast of the Jews here is because they were the ones holding to God's teachings but what it is saying is that the Passover is near. So that's what Jesus is talking about. He's thinking uh, about what's coming up and that Passover is very close. Now turn back to page or over to 1229. We're going to start in verse 48. With this understanding that Passover, and when I say Passover, Jesus is thinking, and the Jewish people he's talking to were thinking, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. But it's called Passover. But they knew it's all one. They did not see this, this separately. They saw it as one season. Jesus speaks up and, uh, and is talking to him, and let's start in verse 48. I am the bread of life. What's he talking about? He's talking about the unleavened bread. Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. He's saying they were filled up. And they saw the miracle, and they were filled up, but they didn't hold on to the holiness of who God is. And they didn't eat of the unleavened. They just didn't hold on to the fullness of what God was doing in the desert. Then in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last days. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Who can eat my flesh and drink my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats his bread will live forever. 
You see, he's saying there is a place of the Passover lamb. And there is the place where God cleanses us in this time when we make him Lord of our life and his blood covers our sin from the penalty of death. That's an, a moment. That's an event. But unleavened bread starts immediately at that same time, and it lasts a lifetime of eating of who Jesus is. It's the picture of when we take communion. It's the picture of when we teach on Passover, when we come to celebrate Passover, of picking up the cup and of taking of the bread, of eating of his holiness, of his walk that was without sin. It is a decision to say, I don't want to live in my own flesh. I want to be a part of you and you be a part of me. He said, he says in verse 56, he says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. They're in oneness. They're in oneness. But I want you to look on down in verse 66 right there. It says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. That scripture makes me tear up every time I read it. You see, they had been followers. In fact, a great place to read would be the whole chapter of, of John 6 this week. Be a great place to read. And what you will see is Jesus was feeding the 5,000. And he was feeding them with five loaves of bread and two fish. But reading in understanding God's numbers, you would understand that the five means he was teaching them the Torah. The five books of our Old Testament. He was teaching them the laws. And then the two fish, the Psalms and the prophets. He was feeding them spiritually as well as physically. That's why he comes over here and he says, you have to understand I am the bread of life. You, there is more than just eating of the fish and the bread to give you true life. In fact, this word in verse 48 where he says, I am the bread of life is Zoe. I love this understanding because it means physical and spiritual. In our world today, we want to separate the physical from the spiritual. We want to say, well, I'm just sick. I'm just this, or this is just the physical. The physical and the spiritual are connected in Jesus. These people had witnessed the feeding of 5,000. They had heard Jesus' teachings. They had walked with him. They had seen him, but they weren't willing 
to eat of him. You see, when it got tough, and Jesus said, you've got to eat of me. You've got to eat of my flesh. You've got to drink of my blood. They, they thought, this doesn't make sense to us. And rather than pressing in to find out what he was saying, they just left. I want to look at a couple of scriptures. Let's see, Mark 11, I'm sorry, Mark 7 on page 1161. Mark 7, page 1161, verse 18. This is a place where the Pharisees have come and they're questioning Jesus because it seems apparent that the um, disciples didn't wash their hands before they, they ate. And so they're coming and, and questioning Jesus. And starting in uh, verse 18, Jesus says to them, Are you thus without understanding also? He's talking to his disciples here. He's saying, do you not understand? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside defiles him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. So the uh, Pharisees were trying to say they're eating of things that, um, in a manner that were not right with the law and with their oral laws. And Jesus is coming back and he's saying, listen, you know, whatever you eat physically goes in your body and is eliminated. And that all food is purified. And, but then he says, and thus said, he says, and what comes out of a man, that defies, defiles him. What, and what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. Now let's look at one last place, Ephesians 4, it's on page 1346. Paul tells us, Jesus tells us, these are the things that defile Let's start in verse um, 25. Man, this is all so good. This would be a great chapter to read this week. Okay, 25, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. So he's saying, you know, put away lying. Paul says you can't be doing this. 
verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. He's saying, don't you carry that wrath. Don't continue to keep your anger uh, after the sun goes down. He's really saying, you just can't hold on to anger. Nor give place to the devil. Because he says, you know, you do that and you're going to give a place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. He's saying, you know, if you've been stealing, don't steal anymore. But he's saying you need to be working because that's good. But he said not only is that good, but you need to be able to give to somebody else, somebody who's in need. Verse 29, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearer. And do not corrupt, I'm sorry, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all... But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be named, even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting. See, even just foolish talking. Wonder how many times we just say things that God would not be okay with our foolish talking, the words we might be saying nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What he's saying is he's listed all these things that he says, don't do this, don't do this, don't be a part of this, be imitators of Christ. And then he comes in verse 5 and he said, for you know that all these things, if you are these things, you cannot inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. He says you can't be in the kingdom of God if you still have leaven in your house. And then verse 6, it says, let no one deceive you with empty words. He's saying, so somebody's going to come and tell you you're okay. Man, this is such how it is. People go, oh, you're such a good person. You're okay. God's okay with you. I, you know, Jesus died. And Paul is saying, don't let one deceive you. With empty words, he's saying they don't have any power in them. They're not truth. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Therefore, do not be partakers with them. I love also, it goes on, you can read this chapter this week too, but verse 11 says, And to have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. He says you don't even need to be a party to people who are in these situations. You shouldn't have a place with that. The last scripture I want to give you is on page 1391, 1 Peter one you know so well is so appropriate for us to end with. Page 1391, 1 Peter, starting in verse 14. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Powerful words to be reminded of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But I pray that we would see the fullness of what God is saying to us today, that this is not a message for those seven days only, that this is a message for our life as a follower and as a believer in Jesus. If there are places in your heart today that God is showing you that are not of him and you wish for our elders to stand and pray with you over these matters, um, we are in the back and we'll be glad to stand with you but I pray that each one of us would be burdened by the truth of this message and challenged to dig deep for those small places or large places of leaven in our life. Thank you. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to
Take.